from your word, and we have already heard the word read from the book of Philemon. We pray that we will understand that there is an urgent need to not only be a reconciler amongst others, but to be a reconciler between ourselves and other people as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are ending up this little series that I call Urgent. We've been looking at four little one-page New Testament letters. Each of them had a very specific, urgent message. It was a character quality that I said, can't wait. We need to get at it ASAP. And I've got them up on the screen just so you remember. The urgent message from 2 John was love, the fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. We talked about that four weeks ago. The urgent message from 3 John was influence. We need leadership and we need examples uh, to follow. So John told us that we should choose the very best people. Last week we studied Jude and we found out that that was responsibility. You are responsible for what you think. You are responsible for what you believe, uh, who you listen to, how you behave. Today we're going to take a look at the book of Philemon and the urgent message is reconciliation. Big word. Hopefully we can help you with that. Philemon, like these other three letters, is a pretty interesting, actually fascinating book. <clears throat> and even though its message is very clear, some of the details behind the letter present a, a challenge for biblical scholars. Uh, one commentator that I read said that reading Philemon is like coming into a movie about halfway through trying to figure out what the plot was all about, and then leaving before the movie is over. You just don't quite understand everything that's going on here. And that's because Philemon, I hope you understood this, was kind of a personal letter between friends. And it actually referenced some details that we don't know anything about because he chose not to write about it. But the fact is, we really don't need to know all the details of this little single-page book for us to pick up the message of this letter. But, you know, it does kind of pique our curiosity a little bit. Like, what was going on before? wonder what happened after this. Now, since this is a sermon and not a seminary uh, course today, I'm going to give you just a little quick backstory, just so you kind of understand this. Onesimus, who is mentioned in here, had become estranged from his owner, uh, a friend of Paul's whose name was Philemon. Philemon lived in Colossae, which would be modern-day Turkey, and Onesimus was a runaway slave who somehow got from Turkey all the way to Rome. Now, we're not really sure whether he ran away, or maybe he'd actually been sent on some journey and just decided to keep on walking and ended up AWOL, absent without leave. Either way, he ends up in Rome, he spends some time with Paul, and Paul led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, we don't have the answer to this either, but how did these two guys get together? I mean, was it a coincidence, you know, that a runaway slave happened on a good friend of his master thousands of miles away? Or did Onesimus, when he was kind of running away, suddenly decide, you know, a person to talk to would be my master Philemon's good friend Paul. Maybe Paul can help me. And the answer is, we really don't know. But we do know what Paul did about this runaway slave, and in this letter, 
it's a really a pretty magnificent letter about reconciliation, how to help people make amends again. Now, whenever the subject of slavery comes up in the Bible, I always feel somewhat compelled to talk a little bit about it, because we are talking about slavery here. Now, the question is, why doesn't Paul condemn slavery? Well, a very simple answer is Paul was a man of his time, and actually, if you think about it, he was ahead of his time by about 19 or 20 centuries. He lived in a world where 40% of the entire working force were slaves. I mean, if a man owned a business, if a man had people working for him, in most cases, these were either A, his sons, or they were all slaves. Now, imagine 40% of your population being slaves. The world's economy at this time, in these first century of the New Testament, was built on slave labor. I mean, even the most forward-thinking people in the days of Paul could not even envision a world without slavery. It wasn't a question of human rights. It was a question of productivity. I mean, without slaves, who was going to do the work? Now, lest we think that Paul, you walk away and say, well, Paul must have been in favor of slavery then. No, he wasn't. He did introduce some ideas that were really pretty radical for his time. You may remember we went through First Tim- or Second Timothy. He told slave owners to treat their slaves with gentleness and respect. In, in, in a culture where it was perfectly legal to either beat a slave or actually kill a slave, Paul told them, don't even speak harshly to your slaves. And in a culture which viewed slaves as being you know, beneath the bottom rung of society, you know, way beyond slime and everything else, Paul said they are all one and equal. Remember, he said there's no Jew or Greek or slave or free. We're all one at the foot of the cross. I mean, Paul was saying things that a lot of people in his day were not saying. In fact, he would have been considered to be on the cutting edge of a human rights movement over 2,000 years ago. Is he just the fact that he was trying to bring a slave owner and a slave into reconciliation shows that Paul was kind of an advanced thinker. I mean, common wisdom in this day would be runaway slave, whip him with a cat of nine tails, teach him a lesson, then drag him home in chains as an example for any other slave who might dare try run away. But Paul didn't say that. Paul just said, Let's see if we can get the two of you back together. Can we get Onesimus and Philemon to become friends again? In fact, not just slave and owner, but honest to goodness, friends. Now, the book of Philemon shows us that there are going to be times when you and I have the opportunity, and even sometimes the, I call it the Christian obligation, to stand in the gap between warring parties and sometimes between us and warring parties and bring about peace. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, it says this, You shall be called the repairer of the breach. In other words, there will become times when you are the person who stands in the gap between people who are not getting along. See, it's a wonderful thing if you can kind of rebuild that breach in the wall with people who are at odds with one another. And one of the best things to do, and maybe some of you have already done this, you brought people who are really far apart back together again. You enable them to solve their conflict. They restore the right relationship. And in the book of Philemon, Paul actually shows us how to do it. 
There are four guidelines I want to share with you this morning, and they work whether you end up being the middleman between two people or whether it's you that needs to be reconciled with somebody, maybe a family member or a spouse or your kids. Here's guideline number one. Handle the situation with care. This is kind of like a, duh. <laughs> but, you know, you got, you're in between two people that are mad at each other. Handle that with care. And Paul's letter here to Philemon is really kind of a masterpiece in diplomacy. He writes about a very difficult situation, a runaway slave with dignity and sympathy and affection. Now, I hope you notice that Paul never once referred to Onesimus as a fugitive, in spite of the fact that that's probably what he was. I mean, fugitive slaves in that culture were in really deep trouble, and they often paid some very harsh consequences for running away. And it kind of puts Philemon in a bad situation. i got slaves running away. Maybe other slaves are going to want to run away. And if he comes back and I'm too nice to Onesimus, maybe the other slaves are going to think that they can get away with stuff too. I mean, did he want them to think that they could all run away with no punishment? See, when you're trying to bring about reconciliation between two people, or when you're trying to rescue with some, or you're trying to reconcile with just, say, one person, you need to be aware that there are some obstacles involved and you need to handle them carefully. <clears throat> In my 25 plus years as a pastor, I have worked with couples off and on who are trying to patch things up after one of them and sometimes both of them had had an affair. When one had cheated on the other, and they sat in the office, and I didn't actually have to hear them say it, although many times they did. I, I kind of knew what they were thinking. They were conflicted, and they were afraid. They were asking themselves, how many other secrets could there be in our relationship? How many more times will this ever happen in our marriage? Am I setting myself up only to be hurt one more time? Now, as the pastor or a counselor, guess what? It is very easy to step right in the middle of that and say, Oh, come on, grow up, build a bridge, get over it, forgive your spouse, or walk in and just say, I'd dump him if I was you. But you know something? It's never that cut and dry, is it? I mean, what I have discovered over the years, there's always his truth, her truth, and some in between, there's the real truth. And that's what a reconciler is trying to find. If you want to be an agent of reconciliation, you need to put yourself in a position See the world from their point of view so that you can find some way to restore them. And so Paul takes a wonderful opportunity here in Philemon to reframe this, the situation here for Philemon so he can see the good coming from this. Now, you don't know this, but the, you know, every name has got a meaning. Jason told me the other day about Isadora. It had something to do with some fancy piece of jewelry, didn't it? Or a gift, okay. We all know what grace means. Uh, other people kind of know what their name means. Not many of you today, well, maybe after Isadora, the next one will be Onesimus, for all I know. But if you ever name your baby Onesimus, those of you who are thinking of having one more, Onesimus actually means useful. Useful. So Paul actually has a little play on words here in verse 11. He said, formerly useful was useless to you. But now, useful has also become useful both to you and me. Kind of a little pun in Scripture. Then he says in verses 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you from a little while was so that you might have him back for good. 
No longer a slave, but better than a slave. A brother. He's very dear to me. But he's even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother for the Lord. I mean, that's really kind of a masterful statement when you think about it. Paul was handling that situation with great care, trying to help Philemon develop a new perspective. And in order to be a reconciler or to reconcile, you need to approach this with sympathy or sensitivity. That's why he said handle it with care. Now, here's guideline number two. Help both parties come to their own decision to do the right thing. This is where it's kind of hard for men, because you, you know what men are like. Men are fixers. You, now, guys, how many times have your wife ever come up and told you a big problem? You said, oh, I can take care of that. And she looked at you like, well, hold it. I didn't tell you that so you could take care of it. I wanted you to listen and help me decide. We need to be a little careful. Now, I don't know if you've, any of you ever got in trouble on the playground. I mean, I, I did when I was young. And uh, maybe you got sent to the principal's office. I don't know if that ever happened to you either. I knew him by first name. Uh, now, what would he say if you were on a, in a fight on the playground? Chances are one of the last things he would say is, now you two boys shake hands and be friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's like parents, right? I, I saw parents one time in a store. I think it was brother and sister, and they were fighting. And the parents separated them, and they, they said to the brother and sister, now kiss and make up. I remember the expression on the kid's face. They'd sooner die than to do that. Now, maybe you can strong-arm kids into being friends, but it's really hard to strong-arm adults into friends. You can only <coughs> lay out a certain number of options and give them a chance to do right. And this is what Paul does in verses 8 and 9. He said, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I'm making this appeal on the basis of love. Then in verse 14, he says, I do not want to do anything without your consent. See, he's talking about the possibility that Onesimus might actually stay with him while he's in prison. He said, but I do not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. I mean, he's given him a pretty strong hint what he should do. There's no doubt about it. But then he kind of sets the ball in Philemon's court. See, it's the same if you and I are trying to reconcile. You, you, you can go to them and say, I want things to be right between us again. And I'll do what I can to make things right. But the final decision is with them. See, it takes two people to reconcile. You can't do that all by yourself. You can only do your best to kind of create an atmosphere where reconciliation is possible. Here's guideline three. If you want to be a repairer of the breach, you must be willing to give of yourself. Now, Paul asked Onesimus to take Onesimus back, but I want you to remember what he also said in verses 18 to 19. He said, if he has done, anything, done you any wrong, if he owes you anything, put it on my credit card, huh? Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, he said. I will pay back, not to mention... I like this, not to mention that you owe me your very life, but just mentioning it anyway. Now, i got to tell you, this is the difference between meddling and peacemaking. Meddling, you stand on the outside and you tell other people what to do. Uh, peacemakers get involved. You all heard that uh, phrase where it says, put your money where your mouth is? Well, that's exactly what Paul did here. He didn't just merely dispense advice. 
He was being an agent of reconciliation. He cared about these two men. He was even willing to spend his own money. Now, I'd ask you, are you willing to do that to help people get back together, to put your money where your mouth is to help this along? Are you willing to pay that price between you and another person? Now, let me tell you about somebody who did pay the price. His name was Jesus. He paid the price for your sins so that we could have peace with God. The Bible says that even though we were God's enemies, living in rebellion, separated from him by sin, we were reconciled back to him through the death of Jesus. Reconciliation always comes with a price. Now, to a much lesser extent, we sometimes need to stand in the gap between those people who are in conflict. And, and sometimes we need to sacrifice part of ourselves, too, to get that reconciliation done together. I mean, that's part of the sacrifice. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called the sons of God. Here's number four. You need to follow up on their progress. Paul says in verse 22, one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. <clears throat> now, where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Well, the answer was he was in prison. He was in prison in Rome, and actually it was more like being under house arrest. He was able to receive visitors and write letters and conduct ministry to a, a limited extent. Although he was not able to come and go as he pleased, but he knew that eventually he was somehow going to be released. And his plan upon that release was to make a thousand-mile trip from Rome back to Colossae, back to Turkey, and spend some time with Philemon. He's saying very simply in this brief little letter, I'm going to come back and I'm going to spend some time with you. I'll settle accounts. All I'm saying here is that reconciliation is sometimes a process. It takes time. Sometimes people take, take a couple of steps towards reconciliation, and, and then they kind of take a step back. Sometimes they sit on the fence. They really don't want to mend this. What I'm just saying is you sometimes need to keep an eye on them. And sometimes when you manage to work out a reconciliation, whether it's between two other people, yourself or someone else, you have to continue what is called the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians, Paul says in 5.18, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. That means we, you and I, not just the so-called minister, but you as ministers are also called to help people be reconciled to God. And it also means that you're called to help reconcile them to other people. And you see here in Colossians 3.15, he also said, we ought to be eager to do this, eager to maintain this bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Now, I read that passage, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of the one body you're called to peace. And the first thought that comes to mind is, uh, not always. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes uh, people find themselves in conflict with one another, and, and when that happens, you have an opportunity to be called one of the sons of God, one of the children of God, and sometimes people just don't want your nose stuck into their business. Sometimes people don't want peace but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be there as a peacemaker in your ministry of reconciliation. Now, I've given you four different thoughts, but I'm going to tell you that I actually left one piece out of this. Left one piece out of this. It might be called the why we do it part. 
And there's one more Bible passage that's going to pop up on the screen here. It comes from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 tells us why we do this, why we practice this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's why. He reconciled us, therefore what? We are called to do it for other people. And verse 11 goes on and says, And more than that, we also rejoice. We're full of joy that we actually get to do this. Do it through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's kind of like a giant because, therefore. Because what God has done for us in Jesus Christ to reconcile us back to his Father in heaven, therefore we are called to be reconcilers, this ministry of reconciliation between us and others or others and others. Back in the mid-1950s, uh, this world was shocked when five American missionaries were killed by some Aka Indians in South America. Uh, these missionaries were trying to reach these primitive people with the gospel, and they were speared to death on the banks of the river. Later, this same tribe welcomed back into the community the wife of one of these people, Elizabeth Elliot, and the sister of another, and they began translating the New Testament. Now, in doing so, they had a hard time putting the word reconciled into the Aka language. They kept looking for some equivalent. I mean, what, what Aka word means reconciled? And one day, as the translators were walking through the jungle with some of the Aka Indians, they came to a very narrow, very deep ravine, and the missionary thought, we can't go any further. But the Akas instead took out their machetes, and they cut down a large tree so that it fell across this ravine, permitting them to walk across to the other side safely. Now, the translator was listening to the Aka Indians very intently and discovered that they had a word which meant tree across the ravine. Tree across the ravine. Now, that seemed to be the very best way to express the meaning for the word reconciled. Think about that. That great ravine, or as the Christian song talks about, the great divide, the great ravine between sinful man and holy God was bridged by a tree. Death on the cross, bridged by Jesus Christ. He became man, lived a sinless life, died for us. He reconciled us back to God. He is our tree across the ravine. And he calls us to do the same for others today, to be people who are repairers of the breach. May God grant us the power of the Spirit to do so. It's in his name we pray. Amen.